and about the roles of fathers and things like that. So what they were trying to do is stir it up there saying like, well, if she's just going to go up there and man bash, you should take exception to that. I don't know. I just didn't feel like that's what it was. I mean, it's not like she said all men suck, right? (laughs) (laughs) That would be a different quote. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is Wisconsin's Morning News. Here's your host, Vince Petrano. Finish it strong on a Friday morning. Great to have you with us on Wisconsin's Morning News. Greg Pancake Hill produces the program. Eric's out today and Michelle Richards in that chair to my right. I'm Vince Petrano. We'll take you to 9 o'clock. Then it's Stephen Sandy with WTMJ Now. Interesting new poll from CNN. Michelle suggests that if you are looking for a GOP alternative to former President Donald Trump, someone who could beat President Biden in his re-election bid, former U.N. ambassador and former governor of South Carolina Nikki Haley may be a viable option. And she's the only one at this point, right, who might have a chance? Well, so here's, here's the new polling from CNN. It pits Republican candidates not named Trump. So they didn't poll on Trump. Ah. So this is anyone who's not Trump. In a one-on-one with President Biden. So all of the field falls within the margin of error, about 3.5%, except for one. And that's Ambassador Haley. So we'll talk more specifically about her results in a moment. But this is a new CNN poll that's just out. Governor DeSantis versus President Biden, both at 47% on this poll. Former Governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, faring better. He's at 44 to 42. More undecideds there. But he actually, you know, climbs above President Biden in that poll. Vivek Ramaswamy, a lot of folks interested in him, don't know a lot about him, but they want to learn more. He's actually down a point to the president in this poll. Biden, 46, to Ramaswamy, 45. Senator Tim Scott, former Vice President Mike Pence, both up two points on the president in this poll. Again, all within the margin of error. But former Ambassador Haley opens up the strongest lead on the president in the poll and actually outside the margin of error. Asked if it's President Biden or Ambassador Haley, she polls at 49% to President Biden's 43%. So the only one in this group, if it's head-to-head, mm-hmm. who posts that substantial lead. Now, it's super early. We haven't cast a ballot yet in any of the primaries. We haven't had the caucuses and all of these things. But just interesting results from that CNN poll that was conducted late last month. The whole thing is... Can there be someone other than former President Trump who gets that nomination? Got to do that first. And that question remains, I mean, if you take this this particular poll out, I mean, on just the GOP side, President Trump continues to boat race everybody in the polls. I mean, it's like not even, it's not climbable. So you'd have to get to this point first where it's somebody other than him. But as you start to talk about who's viable, who could that alternative be? Right now, it's former Ambassador Haley who is leading in this particular poll. Any takeaways there? Any thoughts on that? No? Attractive it's so team, early. I mean, right? anything could happen. We're so far away from anything. But, I mean, it's it's interesting to watch. I'm glad you're here because I wanted to bring something up, and I haven't had an occasion to talk about it yet. But when we had the GOP debate right here in Milwaukee, and a lot of folks are crediting Ambassador Haley for having had a strong debate and a strong showing on that stage, where a lot of folks maybe don't know a lot about her nationally. And she had a really good – I thought it was a really good moment – 
but it did give me pause. Really good moment, maybe her most memorable from that debate right here in Milwaukee. Hey, Governor Haley, would you like to respond? Deserves. Are you so bought Brett, and paid what for? What I would like to say is the fact that I think this is exactly why Margaret Thatcher said, if you want something said, ask a man. If you want something done, ask a woman. <laughs> the crowd seemed to love it, right? Yeah. It was a standout moment. And it wasn't her, her words. She was quoting mm-hmm. Margaret Thatcher. But, you know, saying, look, I'm the only woman up here. I'm this alternative. Maybe that's one reason that folks like her. And I didn't think anything of it at the time other than one thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. Two thought it was a good line and a good moment. Three thought it landed well with the crowd. And now are people upset? Well, not a lot of them, I don't think. We did get a news release, and this is from a Washington-based PR firm, and it was very critical of her comment. Why? Because she's bashing men. Is how it was interpreted, or at least how they're trying to sell it. And I don't know who these folks work for. Might be working for one of the candidates and not just having disclosed that because they were trying to trash Ambassador Haley. But uh, their one line, Republican candidate Nikki Haley took a different tack claiming, you know, and then it goes on to quote what she said. They were talking about the other candidates having talked positively about men and about the roles of fathers and things like that. So what they were trying to do is stir it up there saying like, well, if she's just going to go up there and man bash, you should take exception to that. I don't know. I just didn't feel like that's what it was. I mean, it's not like she said all men suck, right? <laughs> that would be a different quote. <laughs> but then it, then again, like if a man would have said something similar about women, like then where would, where would we be? That's a great point, and that was what got me thinking about it is, again, I, I like the line. It hit with me. I thought it was funny. I thought it was interesting and whatever. But, right, if Governor DeSantis had gotten up there and said, what we really need is a man in the White House, <laughs> he's like, right. done, he'd be crushed. Yep. Right? Out of here, out of here. So what do we make of the different rules? I mean, I guess you can, we see that whether we're talking about any number of issues. Okay to make fun of these folks over here. Not okay to make fun of these folks over here. And this might be a situation where it's that. I don't know. I just thought it was funny. Yeah. Is there room for humor in these debates? Right. Like, let's have a little more of that. Make it fun. So, again, thing is that she and the entire Republican field remain miles behind former President Trump in any polling. So you got to get the nomination first. And right now, the only path to that for any of these others I see is for this this field to be narrowed. You can't have five, six other candidates dividing up the non-Trump vote because then they'll all kind of knock each other out and Trump sails to the nomination. If the non-Trump voters can coalesce around one candidate alternative, that person might have a shot at the nomination. This poll anyway suggests that wise choice just could be former ambassador Nikki Haley, 820 on Wisconsin's Morning News. Eight twenty-five on Wisconsin's Morning News. I want to touch quickly on something that's affecting a lot of you if you are a Spectrum Cable subscriber. Right now, the Disney ESPN blackout continues. A number of other channels in there as well in that block. What Nat Geo couple of others that I know folks like to watch. So even if you're not a sports fan, this is affecting you and only for Spectrum customers. These things happen from time to time. They happen on all of the sort of distribution platforms. Used to be that they would happen, you know, for a day. You'd turn on your cable, whatever, turn on that channel, and they'd be like, this currently is not being shown because we're in a dispute that's totally not our fault and it's the other guy's fault and whatever. We're trying to protect you. Yeah. And these things get worked out, but... 
If I can offer you some perspective, having been at TMJ4 News when we went through this over there with what was then Time Warner, and I think that was at the time all of the journal TV stations. So it wasn't just Channel 4, it was the other stations that then journal owned in different parts of the country. And we were in that negotiation, our company was, with Time Warner. And it's over who pays who and how much for the content that's provided by these distribution platforms. All the cable company is... They're not a creator of content, right? They just distribute it. Mm -hmm. And it used to be, before streaming, the only way you could get ESPN was on cable. The only way you could get Disney Channel was on cable and whatever. And now, with streaming, people are finding a lot of other different ways to go direct to consumer with a very small number of products. Cable, no matter who you are, or DirecTV or Dish or whatever you have, also combines hundreds of channels that you don't watch. Right? Hundreds. Right? Yes. What was that old song? 57 channels and nothing's nothing on? on? 57 mm-hmm. channels. We're talking hundreds yeah. of channels, most of which I'm betting you don't watch. There are a couple of these premiums, though, that when they come up for negotiations for how much the cable company is going to pay Disney, who owns ESPN, for all of these properties, for the rights to carry that content on their system and then thus charge you for that, how much are they going to pay for that? When the big fish like this come up, it can be really damaging because it can go on for a long time. That's actually, we weren't a big fish, but that's what happened over Channel 4. I mean, I remember, Michelle, like, I was anchoring the morning show at the time, and we looked at the ratings every morning. You know, how did we do yesterday? And, I mean, as soon as we were off the cable platform, there was a huge way that a lot of folks took our content. We took a big hit, and I don't think some of those folks came back. We lost our channel position on the cable system. So it's def- definitely damaged us as a content provider, If you look at what ESPN is going through right now, they pay so much money in rights fees to carry all these sports broadcasts. They pay the teams or the conferences or the, you know, they pay the NFL for the right to air XYZ games. They're paying the U.S. Open for the right to have that on right now. So that costs billions and billions of dollars. So they're looking to recoup that cost and remain profitable as they then deliver that content through these other distribution platforms. If you're spending that kind of money, people are advertising on your network, and now you're losing a whole chunk of viewers to these college football games or whatever, you can't charge what you wanted to charge for the number of eyeballs because they're not there. So they take a hit. Millions of people affected by this too. I was kind of surprised. Like, I thought more people might have been on streaming services versus the cable, but there are still so many of us that depend on this for this type of content. And so you know who loses for sure? Like we lose every time, right? right? Because right. either way, your prices are going up. And either way, right now, if you're on Spectrum, you're going into a really busy sports weekend with a lot of things that you can't watch but exclusively on ESPN and you don't have another alternative I'll tell you this, too. I mean, this is where the movement starts to happen. I mean, like, I was at Channel 4. I couldn't watch the station that I worked for. That's what caused us to switch. And you lose people forever. Like, we had not switched back to Spectrum. We are on what was an AT&T product at the time. I think it was Uverse that we went with. And then they moved us off of Uverse to where Dish, uh, DirecTV, I think, is ours, all through AT&T. But around with that bundle we we play the game every couple of years call them up say hey can we get on a different tier can we get the promotional offer to try to lower your costs but you know ultimately where is this going is everybody going to control their own content through their own distribution because you don't need that cable plugged into the wall anymore through or or at least 
that cable system to be your distributor. Still need something plugged into the wall to deliver your streaming. Where ultimately does this go? I don't know, but this one could be a long one. 8.30 on Wisconsin's Morning News. Eight thirty-eight in Wisconsin's morning news this Friday morning. Eric's off today. Michelle Richards in the house for Eric. Vince, the Kentucky Derby has the mint julep. Wimbledon has the Pims Cup. The who? The Pims Cup. Okay, I'm not familiar with that one. Okay. What's in that? I don't know. Some sort of cocktail. This it's is a, a cocktail. cocktail. Yeah, we're okay. talking. We're talking adult beverages here on this Friday morning. The U.S. Open has its own official drink, and it's no easy task prepping for it. CBS's Stacy Lynn. It's called the Honey Deuce, and while it's made with some vodka, raspberry liqueur, and lemonade, it's what's on top that is so iconic. A tiny skewer of honeydew melons in the shape of tennis balls. 1.5 million melon balls were made ahead of the event this year. (laughs) Then there's apparently an entire back room of workers doing nothing but skewering the fruit. Bartenders help out too, sometimes filling up to 15 buckets full of melons to keep up with the demand. And the drinks aren't cheap. They're sold for 22 bucks a pop. Stacy Lynn, CBS News. Okay, so first of all, okay. a melon ball is inherently shaped like a tennis ball, is it not? Right, why is that special? Like you can't market it as being like tennis ball shaped if it's just a ball. <laughs> right, that looks just like a tennis ball. It's round. Okay, good point. What else? Twenty. Okay, $22. I'm looking at one of these things. It looks like maybe a pint glass full-ish. Okay, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a like substantial a, drink. Yeah, it's it's like a tall, probably. Well, at least it's not a it's mini. probably not a double. But yeah. Just maybe uh, all these people just balling the melons. <laughs> that's that like some sort of melon balling operation going back there. What do you do? Oh, I worked at the U.S. Open. Oh, cool. Were you like a ball person? Did you check me? No, I, I shelled melon balls for right. How does hours that, and hours. How does that interview go? So tell me your experience with balling fruit. Right. Well, it's great. You know, you got to have the right technique in. <laughs> you know, first you got to cut the melon. Can you be fast? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 22 bucks for a drink, too. It's like the oldest thing in the world is complaining about stadium concessions prices, right? Like you go, I'm at the U.S. Open, you want a drink, I guess I have the drink, whatever. But 22 bucks, pass. I don't know. I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like that's anywhere you go with these Go buy a bottle events. of vodka after and get down to business. There you go. 840 on Wisconsin's Morning News. <laughs> Forty-four on this Friday morning, Wisconsin's morning news. Going to play a little bit of another song. You can play along wherever you're listening. The sound, I think, for a lot of folks will be familiar, but this is an original work. See if you recognize though the flavor here. One, two, three, four. Like almost instantly, right? I think Milwaukee. This is from the rock musical Run Bambi Run. It's the world premiere at Wonky Repertory Theater next week. Did you pick it out? Now you, I know, would find it right away because you were a fan. I'm a huge Violent Femmes fan. And we're talking about Gordon Gano, leading man. Original stuff here. The music for this new musical premiering, world premiering at Milwaukee Repertory Theater next week, Rum Bambi Run. Uh, the music written by the Femmes, Gordon Gano, as Michelle indicated. The musical, of course, tells the story of Lorencia Bembenic. I want to give you a couple of excerpts here. Our Libby Collins is WTMJ Conversations, and that comes up on Sunday at 11 o'clock. She talked with the Rep's artistic director, Mark Clements, about why they chose to tell this story of Lorencia Bembenic. 
think there's anybody who's lived in Wisconsin for any amount of time who is not familiar with the story of Bambi Ben Benick. But when did it get on your radar? And why did you say, this could be something? We were doing Lombardi by Eric Simonson, and it was just after the Packers won the Super Bowl. And at the time, you know, we had people like Paul Horning and Bart Starr around the joint and kind of being involved and Vince's daughter. And so it was just really interesting to be part of that and watching Eric Simonson, who'd had a history with the rep prior to me being here under Joe Henretti's tenure. And I was like, what's on your radar? You know, it'd be good to do something new because he was a writer as well as a director and I was interested in another story. And he said, well, there is this story about this person, Laurencia Bambenic. And I went, run, Bambi, run. And he was like, how do you know that? And I was like, I don't know, actually. But I do remember the basic part of the story that this woman was accused of killing the wife of her cop husband who was the ex of Christine Schultz who was murdered tragically in front of her children and there was stuff going on like how she was invited onto Dr. Phil and then ended up jumping off the balcony and having a leg amputated. You couldn't make this stuff up. Right, so they adapted the story and I don't know I'm, I'm older than you Michelle so I remember it when I was pretty young when there was the whole trial and then her conviction then most famously the escape and, and all of that stuff, what I remember most was my parents paying attention to it and like being really interested in what what was all happening. Just a crazy time. Mm-hmm. Sensational story. Right. Li- sensational on its own. Right. Didn't have to spice it up or anything, but really fascinating. And actually, when I talked to uh, some of the other folks who were involved in this production, they really they don't reach in the story like a conclusion that they're trying to push like she did it or she didn't okay. do it or she was good, or she was bad, or whatever. They lay it out for you, and you won't get to the end and have them pushing one narrative over another. It'll sort of leave us all where we were and always have been of what was this really. Right, they're not solving a crime here. Exactly. They're just telling the story that, that we know. As for the music, you know, obviously a huge driver when you have a musical of any kind, plus a rock musical here, a little bit more on how that is playing out. The interesting thing about the musical was like, I said to Eric, I said, well, you know, if it was a musical, who would do the music? And without breathing, he said, the Violent Femmes. Why the Violent Femmes? Because they're a Milwaukee band. There's a number of reasons. It felt to me like that made sense. If you think about the Violent Femmes music, I guess if you had to give them a tag, would it be like folk, punk or indie? But I mean, if you look at Gordon's writing, not just with the Violent Femmes, but with other bands that he's been involved in and his solo career, crosses over gospel bluegrass, R&B, soul, rock, punk. You can't define them with one simple tag. And actually, in terms of the storytelling of this and the characters involved and not fit shoehorning blister in the songs, we're not using any Violent Femme songs. This is all original music by Gordon Gaynor, which some of it is very identifiable in a way. And then some of it feels like musical theatre and some of it feels kind of a little off wall, which is what Gordon is. I should mention, too, if you are a longtime Milwaukee Repertory Theater season ticket holder, this may or may not be your style, <laughs> right? I went to, I took my daughter who's, you know, in, in theater, and we went to see Much Ado About Nothing last year, and the adaptation there was they added music, and it was, it was rock, and it was loud, and I thought it was awesome, and so did my daughter. I think some folks in the usual rep crowd mm-hmm. were a little bit caught off guard about that. It was super loud. Maybe not their style, so I'm certainly not discouraging anyone from going, but if you're a long-time rep, season ticket holder for 20 years plus or whatever, maybe this isn't your style. I don't think they're going to have any problems selling tickets. 
And maybe be open to something different. Well, right. You know, you might like it. If you want the rep to be here for much longer into the foreseeable future, they do have to grow. Right, and diversify. And they have to find ways to reach those younger audiences as well. And so this is, if this is something that can pull in the Gen Xers and behind them, then they definitely need to do that. Um, In terms of the story, how did they go about it and sort of weave this into a musical? Here's a little bit more from Libby Collins' interview with the Rep's Artistic Director, Mark Clements. It had to be challenging to not just come up with the story itself. Yeah. But how do you figure out at what points to place musical numbers? You can't have someone who's just been accused of murder and may or may not have done the deed break into song, or do you? Well, I work from the premise that as a parent myself, I look at the murder of Christine Schultz as a terrible tragedy. So I'm coming from a place of respect. But, you know, in terms of where do you place musical numbers, the songs, if they're narrative-driven, are just replacing dialogue and narrative. But if I ask someone, do you know the story? And they go, oh, yeah. There's usually a laugh that goes with that. Oh, boy. You know, and then you'll go, what do you know about it? Each person's story and recollection of that story is different. And probably for all of us, gaps in that recollection as well. This is a long time ago, and we're all different ages when it happened, right? Like I said, you know, I wasn't exactly paying a ton of attention to the news as like a you know, middle school, high school or whatever I was at the time. But I just I remember it being in the news and being part of that. So I think we'll probably learn a lot as well. On your list for sure. To it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> and as far as Libby's entire conversation about the world premiere of Run Bambi Run, With the Milwaukee Reps, Mark Clements. It's coming up Sunday at 11 right here on WTMJ. WTMJ forecast sponsored by Dave Drake Camp Heating, where your comfort is their family's tradition. High of 70 degrees today. That's the high. So if you got high school football tonight, bundle up. Partly cloudy tonight. Low temperatures dipping down below 50 degrees away from Lake Michigan. Uh, it should be warmer near the lake. Sunny and beautiful for your Saturday. High of 71 at the Lake 75 inland. And Sunday looks perfect for most of the day. Mostly sunny. High of 75. Chance for some rain moving into the afternoon and evening hours. We've been stuck at 61 degrees for a little while here in Milwaukee. Nice to cool off a little bit. Didn't need this level of cool off, though. I'm kind of looking forward to sweatpants, though. Just yeah, a little taste of fall warm, here, Nice bite. warm blankets. Are you coming to the game tonight? So, um... We have Greendale Panthers football tonight in Greendale, obviously. Michelle's our neighbor over in Franklin, but we have mutual interests. Your niece, yep, my is, niece, your niece is singing, singing the National, national anthem, tonight. anthem tonight. That's going to be very – she has an amazing voice, super powerful voice. So I'm hoping we can make it. We've got a little bit of a conflict with the sports schedules and stuff, but we'll do our best. We're not far. We're in Franklin. Right. I've got my cheer kid, so they're all fired up to go. Cheer and band. She's a dance dancer in the marching band as well. Looking forward to seeing the halftime show. I love that about high school football, I always say, is is not just football. It is a pageant. It is a community pageant. And you have all of these different entities. You got the band and you've got cheer and you've got dance and you've got spirit club and you've got what are the kids wearing and oh by the way, you also have football. Which I like too. 
It'll be fun. It'll so be a fun time. Good bring show. That, bring that blankie. We'll save you a seat. Go Badgers. <laughs> My Snuggie. <laughs> go Pack. Thanks for the week. We'll be back in on Monday. WTMJ Now with Steve and Sandy is coming up momentarily. First, the business headline sponsored by Old National Bank. Get old. Here's the Milwaukee Business Journal's Sari Lesk. A Dave's Hot Chicken restaurant is proposed on West Capitol Drive in Wauwatosa. The restaurant could open in November in place of a former Teriyaki Madness location. Three Leaf Partners will soon start construction on a $67 million apartment development on West National Avenue in West Allis. Elected officials have approved up to $13.1 million in city financing to support the project. And Duluth Trading Company has more beer brand partnerships on tap following a collaboration with Pabst Brewing Company. Duluth produced merchandise featuring Pabst beer brands on its buck naked underwear. I'm Sari Lask with Milwaukee Business Journal.com on News Radio WTMJ.